Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors that serves here. Um, come on, thing. All right. Uh, she was smiling from ear to ear. Her heart is pumping quickly. She has a lot of energy. Her, her dad is a little distracted. He's putting away some of her brother's clothes, putting them on hangers. But this energy, I mean, it has to go somewhere. Something crosses her mind. Oh, this would be so much fun. She gives it little further thought. She's completely confident in what she's going to do. And without hesitation, she quickly counts one, two, three, and then jumps off the bed. Her unsuspecting dad drops the clothes and catches her right before she hits the ground. He's a little shocked and surprised, but she just continues to laugh and think everything is so funny and then just says, again. You know, this, this happened to me many times when my daughter Everly would just without basically any kind of warning, just jump off of something, jump off the bed, jump off the couch, and then just like expect me to always catch her. And I kept telling her, I'm like, hey, you know, you're going to jump one time and I'm not going to be ready. And, or I'm just going to not, you know, I'm just going to miss you. Um, and, um, you know, because, hey, I'm just kind of limited, and that, that's what is going to happen. But it just never seemed to work. She just kept doing it over and over again. And, you know, one thing that I've just noticed in that is that she has complete trust. She has complete confidence every time of what is going to happen. That, yep, hey, that is what my dad is going to do. I just know it. He has that kind of power. He's that strong. Um, even though, again, I'm like thinking, no, this is not always going to work out. You know, we all have confidence. We all have trust in different things, different people, and we, we expect them to act a certain way. Um, but when life happens, life throws us a curveball. Something goes, you know, not the way that we want it to, not the way that we think it's going to. You know, when that happens to you in your life, here's a question. Who do you jump to? What do you jump to? What do you look to to say, hey, that has the kind of strength, the kind of power to help me in this situation? Now, of course, we all want to say, well, God. Right? Oh, I'm totally trusting God. I, I actually remember earlier this week, I was talking to a couple students. I said, hey, why is it hard to trust God? And they said, well, some, you know, some of it's just things happen that you don't think were going to happen. You don't want them to happen. You know, and they said, well, you can't always see God. And I think that is hard, you know, because we can see all of what is happening in the world, how things kind of work out, the kind of strength, the kind of power that the world has. And then when, when life throws us that curveball, that's what be, tends to become much more visible to us, is what do we see out there? And then we tend to jump to those things to sustain us, to catch us. You know, we're always going to be looking to something, something to have our confidence in. But how do we have our confidence actually in God, even when we know that it should be? How do we have this confidence, this trust in Him, and how do we actually see His power and the strength that He has? So if you've got a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 12. Acts is uh, in the New Testament, so it's toward about you know, three-fourths of the way through your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you've gone to Romans, a little too far. So, let's kind of see what, what kind of strength and power 
we look we have available to us. Verse four, or chapter one or chapter twelve, verse one. It says this: About that time, uh, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So he's persecuting them. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So this James, it's not um, it, it's not uh, Jesus' half brother. This is one of the disciples, one of the apostles. There was John, who, who wrote the book of John, who wrote these other books, and this is his brother James. So he put him to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jew, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized them, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. You know, so here we see this, this use of worldly power. How is power, you know, worldly, the world uses its power. And Herod here, he's, this is Herod Agrippa. So, um, you know, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and there was Herod the Great that, that you know, the, the wise men visit him and he tells everybody, you know, tells um, the people in Bethlehem, hey, let's kill all the, the baby boys, you know, so that we can maybe get this, this Jesus guy. We can get the, the coming king. So that's Herod the Great. And that, this is uh, Herod Agrippa. And so Herod the Great is this guy's grandfather. The other Herod... Antipas, who put um, John the Baptist to death and had him beheaded, this is his uncle. And so this is this guy's family, these guys that like to, to use their power for their own gains, for their own agenda. And Herod here in Acts 12 is no different. He, he's doing things for his own agenda. I mean, even a first century Jewish historian Josephus tells us that a lot of his decisions, a lot of things that he did were for his own um, his own gain, his own approval. And, and so he was, um, you know, he, he was kind of like in the Romans, you know, pocket and doing things for them to try to please them, to try to ha- help them um, do their thing and to get their approval. But then he would kind of hop over here to the Jewish side and do things so that they liked him. And he would just kind of play both sides to, to see whatever uh, would do this. He's like a political chameleon. And he loved the applause of people. And he did everything to kind of flatter the Jewish people to get them to like him, even though it's just really serving his own glory, his own applause. And, and right here, he, it says that he killed the, the brother, or, or James, the brother of John, with the sword. And he, he's seen what's the reaction of the people. Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to see if I could get in their good graces. And remember that the church in Antioch, that we read about in the last chapter, we're seeing this diverse church of both Gentiles, people that are not Jewish, and Jewish Christians coming together. And and there's kind of actually some hostility because of that, because of these Gentiles coming into the church. Even the Christians, even the church, criticize that. And so even, even more so is the people that are not Christians, that are not in the church, are these Jews. And so here, Herod sees this opportunity. Hey, what can I do? See, all these Jewish people, the people that I'm ruling over, they don't like these people. They don't like these Christians. Hey, if I can, let's, let's see what I can do so they like me more. So, hey, let's put James, one of their leaders, to death. Oh, and then it says, when he saw that it pleased the people. Hey, my little plan's working. Hey, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do to get, get all this approval from people, this is going great. And so then he takes it a step farther. 
and, and has Peter thrown in jail, just trying to get more favor from the people. But this is during the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and since it's a feast, uh, they couldn't have trials, they couldn't put people to death, so he's just got to kind of wait for this thing to be over, and then he can have a trial then or put him to death then. But he's wanting to really make sure that he hangs on to his prized prisoner. So he has four squads of soldiers guard him, uh, even chained to him. So this is 16 soldiers that are tied to him while he's in prison. Now when we read this, this, this honestly should not come as a shock to us. Jesus told us in John 15, hey, the world's going to hate you. Sometimes I think that we get shocked when the world doesn't like us or support Jesus or his kingdom or his ways. This, Jesus said this. Right? We should not expect the world to act as if it knows Jesus when it doesn't. And, and so, you know, Jesus said, following me will have costs. And in Matthew 20, Jesus even kind of foretold that, that James was going to die. The, the, um, James and John, they come together with their mom, which that's kind of awkward. You know, if you're coming with your mom to Jesus to try to get into his... I don't know, get, get something. They, so they come with their mom and they're like, hey, when you come in your kingdom, can we sit at your left and your right? Hey, check out our mom's with us. Weird, right? You're like. Can you give us higher status? Can we sit at your, your left and your right? And Jesus said, hey. That's not for me to give. And are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, oh, yeah, we could drink it. But they don't understand it. Jesus is saying, hey, are you willing to suffer like I'm going to suffer? Because that's coming to you. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, they don't get it. And when we see here James, it's like, hey, this prediction that Jesus had was, came about. He did die. And, um, you know, there's... Um, I don't know if you guys read this, but a question that I had in this is, why does James get killed and Peter gets set free? Why that guy? Peter always seems to be the one that you know, doesn't get things right. Why does Peter get to live, but not James? And uh, you know, in studying it, I don't know. You know, I'm just, I'm just not really sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. You know, it, it does tell us that God will eventually deal with all evil, but we have no reason to think that that's always going to happen in every situation that we face, right here and right now, that he's always going to put an end to it. We know that it will, but many times, you know, when we face suffering or when we see suffering, and it is hard, it is real, but I think many times is we just want this explanation. Why, God? Why? And many times we just don't get it. And I don't know why this happened here, but here's what I do know. Is in those times of suffering that you face, the thing that you need is not an explanation. You need something actually bigger than just kind of a silver lining. You need something that is, is, is bigger than the tribulation or the hardship just going away. You need something bigger than that, and you need something more powerful than that something bigger than your sufferings that, that's like in control of all of those things. We don't just need our problems to be solved. We need Jesus 
Because if you have an explanation, guess what? You still might not have. You still might not have Jesus, who's actually bigger than the tribulation that you're in, bigger than the sufferings that you're facing. We need Jesus, and this is what it says in Ephesians 1 about Jesus. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. We need something that is bigger than just our situation. And when James is killed, that's the same God as when Peter is set free. Jesus is just as much of in charge when James is killed as when Peter's set free. He's, he's in charge the whole time. And, then, you know, we, we, and these situations are hard that we see and that we face and that we even wrestle here with the Bible. But, but James is killed, Peter is put in prison, and this is how the world works. This is how the world uses its power. Jesus said in Matthew 20, he's like, hey, you know how it is with the, with the Gentiles, how they lord it over them. Saying, hey, the, the, the world works. If they don't have power, they're going to try to get it. And if they do have power, they're going to use it to rule over anybody so that they can get what they want. And actually, Jesus in Matthew 20 is trying to teach his disciples, and he says this to them right after James and John ask for, hey, can we sit at your left and right? And Jesus says, hey, that's how the Gentiles do it. That's how the world uses its power, but not so with you. You're to be different. And I think actually this passage here shows us that James actually really got what Jesus is saying. Hey, that my life is not here to serve me. My life is not all about me trying to get more for me, trying to build my little kingdom. My life is kingdom living. It's Jesus' kingdom living. And my life is to serve others so that they might know Christ. My, my, my job is to like live for the glory of God. It's not all about getting things the way that I want. And you know, when we see this kind of compare and contrast between how the world lives and uses its power and how God uses his power and how his people have utilized their lives. James and Peter, they say, hey, we're living for a different purpose than what the world is. Herod, he's all about his approval, getting things the way that he wants. But hey, we're willing to actually sacrifice our lives, all of, all of the things that we have, our comforts. Why? Because we know that whatever the world has to offer doesn't hold a candle to Jesus, to his kingdom, to, you know, that he is the source of real life, of real peace. So we see here, the world uses its power. Herod is saying, hey, I'm going to throw, I'm going to have James killed, and I'm going to see if it pleases people. Oh, that's working great. So now I'm going to just take it a step farther to get what I want. But yet, Peter and, or yeah, James and Peter use it in a different way. And then look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church earnest prayer was made for him by the church. I mean, Herod, again, there's this just compare and contrast. Hey, what, what is Herod going to do with his power? He's going to use a sword to get what his, what, what his way. But then what, what happens? I mean, like if you're the, a person in the church, your leaders, I mean, one of the people that you love, James, is killed. Another person that you're looking to, Peter, he's in prison. What are you, I mean, what are you going to do? They turn to prayer. 
Hey, we have complete confidence that God is trustworthy. And we don't see the church here exerting its power like Herod, but it's going to the source of power to God. I mean, think of how the church could have responded. You know, they could have grabbed their swords. Hey, let's go protest. They could have found out, like, hey, who's got some really high connections? Who do you know? Who do, you know, who do we all know? Let's, let's kind of network to get Peter out of jail. Let's pull some strings, and, and let, let's get this thing taken care of. I mean, if it was me, I would have been like, all right, hey, it's Mission Impossible time. Let's Italian job this thing. Let's figure out how we could break them out of there. Bump, bump. Let's make a plan. Yeah, we'll do this. And we'll, you know, we'll like, you know, get some sort of like bomb that, you know, knocks the prisoners out. Bam, this, we're going to make this thing happen. Yeah. But that's not what the church does. Their first response is, hey, let's go to God. Hey, let's not figure out what, what kind of power we can muster up. Let's go to the source of power. And this might feel kind of passive for us, like, okay, so that's all you're going to do? All of this is going on. Leaders are being beheaded. Leaders are being put in prison. You're just going to pray? That feels just kind of passive. Why don't you do something? But again, just like Alex said, prayer is not just, just what fuels the ministry. It is ministry. Prayer is actually this very, like, non-passive way to respond. It's not, it's not this weak response. It's like, no, we're going to who's over you, Herod. We're skipping you. We're skipping all of these things to the one who holds everything in his hand, God. That's who we're going to talk to. And so that's what the church does. They, they go to prayer. They call up the person who shut the mouth of the lion. They go to the one who's humiliated Pharaoh. They go to the one who killed the giant. Think of all the times in, in, in Scripture where prayer moves something. Prayer helped the barren woman give birth. Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven. Jesus prayed before he chose the disciples. Jesus prayed before he, in the garden before he went to the cross. When every door seems closed to you, the door to our Heavenly Father is always open. Prisons are no match for our prayers. And it's not because that there are prayers, but it's because the one we're praying to. It's God, His power. I mean, even as we've been going through the book of Acts, look at how many times the church prays and then something happens. Again, it's not because they're prayers, but because it's God. Acts 1, they pray in the upper room for 10 days straight. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter preaches and 3,000 are saved. Acts 4, they pray and God fills them with more boldness. And they turn the city of Jerusalem upside down. By the end of Acts 5, the church in Jerusalem is over 10,000 people. And even some of the, the harshest critics like the Jewish priests and eventually even a persecutor of the church in Paul himself are being saved. And here in Acts 12, they pray. God bl blows up a prison, gets, gets him out, strikes Herod dead, and the word of the God, God is being multiplied. In the next chapter, they, they pray and God raises up Paul to be a missionary, probably the greatest missionary that the world's ever seen. And just like Samson in the book of Judges, when they cut off his hair and he lost his strength, if a church stops to pray, we're going to lose our strength. Because we're not going to the one who has real power. It's not in having cool lights. It's not in having slicky programs. Or even just like fun little sayings. It's because God is at work. His spirit moving. He has all power and strength in him. Are we going to him? 
And here's a question for you. Do your prayers indicate that you are praying to an all-powerful God? Or just a God that is slightly stronger than you? Does your life, your, what you pray to God, does it reflect that you are praying to a God who holds everything in his hands? You know, after a long battle and, and many lives being lost, Napoleon, he had finally conquered this island in the Mediterranean Sea. And he's sitting there at a table uh, with his generals talking about what, what they're going to be doing next. And this young officer comes in totally unannounced and Napoleon sees him walking closer to him and, and he just says, hey, what do you want? And the officer replied, said, give me this island. And all of the generals just start laughing at him. You know, and then they're just like, oh gosh, you know, who's this guy? Nobody even really knows his name. He's asking if Napoleon can just give him this whole island. That's ridiculous. And then Napoleon says, hey, somebody please get me a pen and a paper. And then he writes out a deed and gives it over to the, the young officer. And all the generals were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, you're going to give him this, this, this island, you know, because, it, man, it costs us, you know, many days of battle, many lives lost. Like, how, how are you going to do that? Why would you give him that? And this is what Napoleon said. I gave him the island because he honored me with the magnitude of his request. Now, we can go to God with everything. We really can, with small things, big things. But do your prayers frequently reflect that you're praying to an all-powerful God? I think many times our prayers are puny because we think God's puny. Right? I mean, think of, think of a lot of the prayers that we typically have. Bless me. Give me safe travels. And those are fine. Those are good. Help me pass this test. You know, maybe God's thinking, study. Hey, you want to have safe travels? Drive the speed limit. Stop texting. I mean, one that cracks me up is, is like, God, just help this food to nourish our bodies. I'm like, man, I don't know if that Whopper with cheese is going to do the trick. <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel weird praying for that because I am going to eat that Whopper. You know, it's like, yeah. You know, but do you ask God to bless your food more than you ask for his kingdom to be expanded? Do you ask God, help this food to nourish my body more than disciples being made? More than you to fall deeper in love with the God who created you, who saved you. This is your prayers like, ask God, do something in my heart, in my life, so I know of your amazing love, so I know of your amazing sacrifice, and God, use me for your glory, because it's so much bigger than anything else around me. Use me in this person's life. God, do something in there. Change their heart, change their mind. God, I'm begging you to do something amazing. Give me courage, God. God, change our city. Change my neighborhood. Change this school. For churches to be multiplied. I mean, notice at the end of this chapter, what is the prayer that's being answered? Yeah, Peter is out of jail, but the word of God is being multiplied. That's really the end prayer, like in answer to all of this. Not, hey, help us to live happily ever after. Do your prayers reflect who you're praying to, right? And it's not because of our prayers, but it's because He is so awesome. 
And so the more and more that we understand God, His power, His goodness, His strength, that's going to shape how we pray. Just like when Everly jumps. Why does she do that? Because she has an, this, this thinking in her head of who her dad is. Now, it's probably flawed a little bit for her, but for ours, God can't be any bigger than what you think. Like, he's always bigger than what you think. Sorry, I misread that. Like, he, he's, he's not any smaller than what you think. He's always bigger. So pray, shift your prayers to pray more for, for his kingdom. And so the church's response here is to not to use their power or to even go against Herod or to ask you know, God to, to get him or anything like that. They go to God. And God works. I mean, when we just read this story, you know, God, God works. Uh, starting chapter or verse 6, you know, um, Peter's sleeping, and this angel comes to, God, to, to Peter while he's sleeping and chained to these guards. And actually, this story's kind of funny. Um, you know, if you kind of read it, I mean, Peter's just fast asleep. I mean, maybe it's a tired day. Maybe he's just like, oh, I'm going to die tomorrow, whatever. Um, you know, and then the angel kind of kicks him, says that it struck him to get him awake. And then after he wakes up, he's kind of in this trance, and the, the angel's kind of like, kind of, you know, t- telling him, hey, get dressed, put on your cloak, you know, because he's just out of it. He doesn't even know what to do. And eventually, they just kind of mosey on through the gate, and I like it when it says, and the door opened on its own accord. You know, it's like the first automatic door right there. And they walk out, and then the angel just vanishes, and then Peter kind of, whoa, he kind of wakes up, and oh, gosh, God got me out of jail. Whoa, this is great. So then he... He thinks, well, hey, where should I go? Hey, maybe I'll go to this house. Maybe they're there meeting and praying. He knocks on the door. This girl, Rhoda, comes and answers. The, an, answers. But she, it's just really funny, you know, because he's like, oh, oh, you know, and he just leaves him there and, and then runs back into them. Oh, oh, hey, P- Peter's here. No, he's not. You know, and he's just, Peter's out there just knocking, knocking, knocking. And it's just kind of ironic because Peter could get out of jail, but he couldn't get into a prayer meeting. You know, that's what's going on. And and so they they just kind of say, well, no, that's really not him. What, you know, we don't know what you're thinking. And, and, you know, again, it's just kind of funny because they're there praying for Peter. They're there praying that God would intervene. And Peter's at the front door. God has already answered their prayer. And, And, you know, maybe they, maybe, you know, they probably were not expecting some miracle prison release. You know, maybe they were just thinking, hey, God, will you just... Help Herod to just let him go. Help him help the trial to go his way. Well, we don't know. But again, here's this point is it doesn't always matter. Like, it's not always you that's the big deal. Man, how much faith do you have? How, how big and amazing are your prayers? Again, it's who are you going to? So God still shows up unexpectedly, how they're not thinking. And then, um, you know, then, so, so Peter's released, tells him what's going on. And then, um, you know, in, in verse 18, when, when, when Herod finds out that, that Peter has been released, and, and he just, again, goes back to using his power. Oh, well, things aren't going my way. My prize prisoner is gone. Okay, I'm just going to have these, these soldiers put to death. Again, just using his worldly power. This is kind of his response. I mean, what would be awesome for Herod's response is repentance. Is at least to just stop and be like, wait a minute, maybe there's someone at work that's bigger than me. But nope, 
Just, hey, I'm just going to go back to doing things the way that I always do. I'm going to use my power the way that I see fit. So get rid of those, um, the people that were guarding him, guarding Peter. And then verse 20, it says this. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on uh, the king's country for food. So, so Herod, he's upset with everything because of Peter. And now his prisoner is gone. He doesn't know where he is. This was Herod's plan to get more approval, to get more people to like him, to get, gain more popularity. And now that he's gone, he's like, well, hmm. This kind of gives up on trying to impress the Jews. Now he's like, well, now I'll go back to try to get approval from the Romans. You know, because Tyre and Sidon is, are a much more Roman area. And so then, um, so they're looking to him for food, you know, because that's where they would get their food from is to the area that he oversaw. Verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. You know, this, this, when it says they put on his royal robes, uh, again, Josephus, a first century historian, tells us that his, his outfit was made out of silver threads. And that it would, shine, it would shine just like sparkling in the sun. And so when he gets up there to give this speech, that's, he's ordained himself in these crazy things to look amazing. And uh, you know, it reminds me of, of a movie, because it will, um, you know, of Avengers 1, uh, where Loki and Thor are fighting. And then Captain America is about to go join in, and, and Black Widow says, hey, hey, Cap, these guys are practically gods. I would sit this one out. And then Captain, uh, you know, America, he replies, he goes, there's one God, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. And you're just like, yeah, you used to love Captain America all the more. Right? And, and, and you know, so, so there is this one God, and he doesn't dress like that, and, and he doesn't dress like Herod either. You know, the crowd praises him as a God. Man, you're not even a man. It's, it's the voice of God. And I think that they're just catering to him. They're just flattering him, trying to get what they want. Because, again, that's how the world uses any kind of power it has. Hey, we'll flatter you. And then Herod gladly receives it. Yes, I am that. Please, please more. And then this angel of the Lord struck Herod down because he was, he was taking the glory for himself rather than giving it to God. And right here, you know, we see that God judged Herod right away. You know, and, and when we read the story, we're not scared of Herod. One, it's a long time ago, but also he dies. And we're like, yeah, the bad guy got it. And, and we see this justice that, that's, that's given right away to a wicked man. And, and that's hard when that doesn't always happen in every situation. You know, there's stories, there's things that we know of, we're like, man, that person. Gosh, I wish... I wish they would get found out because of what they've done. Man, I know like that they're wicked. I know the things that they've done. And man, I just want to see justice happen. Or maybe we see it just kind of out there in the world. We just want to see justice be taken care of because those people are so corrupt. And we know that, that God eventually will ultimately judge all wickedness, all evil. 
And here's kind of the hard news is that we always think that that's someone else. They'll be judged. God will get them. The bad guy will get his. But yet apart from Jesus, we're all wicked. I mean, we really are. We've all sinned. Our hearts apart from Jesus are totally corrupt. We're just living under this thing to think that we're actually better. You know, we always think, man, those, those terrible people, they need to get it. They need to be judged. But what about all the things that you've done, all the things in your heart that you know that maybe no, nobody even else knows? When will that be judged? When will God take care of that? But here's the good news. If you've trusted in Christ, he already has taken care of it. Jesus on the cross paid it all, and that, that justice was served, not because you paid the penalty for your sin, for your corruption, but because Christ paid it for you. All that evil was dealt with, and he took our judgment so that you could go free. You know, and we, you know, the chapter opens with James being beheaded. Peter is in prison, and Herod is triumphing. He's on top. And then it closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. Because it says in verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And instead of Peter being killed by Herod, it was Herod being killed by Peter's God. And in this chapter, we see this, this compare and contrast between two kingdoms, two kings. Between Herod and Jesus and between the world's kingdom and then God's kingdom. And so there's just two, two areas, two um, applications that we've really all got to get in our heads, in our brains, in our bones. So these two areas. First is this, know who your king is. Know who your king is. You have a king. It might be you. It might be someone else. It might be your job. It might be this or that. But it may, maybe it is God. But we all have somebody that we're looking to as the source of our strength, uh, source of strength, source of power, source of our confidence. Maybe it's your own status, your own power, your own possessions. And again, before you kind of quickly write this off and be like, yeah, it's God. I'm good. Think about just a couple of questions to help you like really identify, hey, what is it that I look to for my confidence? What do you worry about? Whatever you're worrying about probably indicates what you think is going to give you life. What do you spend a lot of time praying about? What are you always looking to try to get? I mean, how much of your time is worrying about what others think of you, just like Herod? Man, what will my coworker think? What will my boss think? What will my employees think? What will that neighbor think? What will that other parent think? What will my spouse think? What will that person I want to be my spouse or the person I'm dating, my classmate, that customer, whatever it is? How much of your time is actually just worrying about what other people think of you? Or how much of it is just like, man, making sure that you have the right kind of job so that you could get the right kind of money so that you could have the right amount of stuff. Or so that you don't lose any of it. I mean, Herod's death should be this, this just blunt reminder to all of us that no amount of power, no amount of fame or approval or money can give you the identity that you need and the security that you desire. Right? It should be this blunt, just this slap in his face to you. To all of us to be like, hey, any of this stuff isn't going to cut it. It's not going to deliver. No, no government or government official is always going to solve all your problems. 
I mean, if we just look out there, how much of our energy, your, your brain power is spent on wondering who's sitting in a house. They're not God. No policies is going to solve everything for you. There's nothing bigger. And I think for a lot of our society, why we're so caught up in all the politics is because we've, that's the biggest thing for a lot of people to turn to. Everything that this world has to offer, even yourself, will fail you. You make mistakes. People lose interest in you. They may have approval of you one day, but not the next. Money can be lost, and even when you have, have all of it and more of it, you're just still, you still don't feel satisfied. You still don't feel secure with all the stuff that you have. Your health can fade. Your kids don't get it right, and they make terrible decisions. Governments can be corrupt and lie, not follow through. Don't be fooled or mistaken to think that they can deliver for you. So who, but there is one true king, Jesus. And, and I just love what, what Pastor um, S.M. Lockridge, how he described Jesus. And I just want to just say what he said. I think it's so amazing. He says this, no, just talking about the real king in Jesus. And he says, no means of measure can divine his limitless love. He's endurably, endurably strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's God's son. He's a sinner savior. He's unparalleled. He's the one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He heals the sick. He sustains and strengthens. He guards and he guides. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharges the debtors. He delivers the captive. He's the wellspring of wisdom. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's our king. And so I have a question for any of you. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Have you trusted in, in Jesus as your Savior, that he died on the cross, that he paid the price for sin, and that he rose again, and that in him is salvation, in him is the forgiveness of life, or forgiveness of sins? Do you know him? Not do you, do you kind of like go to church? Not were you baptized once. I'm saying, do you know Jesus? Because you've trusted him, you've given him your life. And if you don't know Christ today, don't, don't care about what anybody else around you thinks, nothing. If you feel like, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus, that's because Jesus is calling you to himself. I just encourage you, man, today could be the day where you cross over from death to life and know the true king of the universe in Christ. So trust in him. If you do know Jesus, does your life right now reflect that he's the only true king? Does your mind, your heart, your actions reflect that he's the, in control of everything? The way that, that you, what, you're, what you worry about, what you spend your money on, does it reflect that Jesus is king? And if you're struggling right now, 
You know, to, to look to him, to trust in Christ as your king. Here's, I mean, man, this will sound really just plain, but I just say, hey, if you're struggling to trust in him as your king, then look to Christ to actually do that. Look to Christ and who he is. Get in his word to see who, what his word tells you of who he is, his promises that he's fulfilled. Get in prayer and just ask God, God, please help me with my unbelief. Please help me with um, that I'm struggling. But the more that you look at Christ, the more that you'll be in awe of him. So first thing is this, know who your king is. Second area is this is, man, when we read this passage, read this chapter, we should be super confident. And so that would just be my prayer, my hope for all this is be confident in our king and what he is doing. You know, we, again, Herod could throw people in jail. Herod could have James killed, but he couldn't stop God and his kingdom advancing. I think sometimes we kind of are just like kind of crossing our fingers and hoping something amazing happens. Man, will the, God, will the gospel go out? Will the church move forward? Man, is God really in control of everything? Herod's word got, got him flattery, but it got him killed. But God's word multiplied. You know, the, even just like Isaiah 48 says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And Jesus said, he promised it. This is our king. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. This is a promise. Even in Acts 1a, he says, you will be my witnesses. This is not just a command, but this is a promise. This is going to happen. You will be my witnesses throughout the earth. And we see the, the kingdom of God advance at the beginning. There's just like a hundred Christians all there in Jerusalem, but then by here they're all scattered throughout Israel and beyond Israel, and there's thousands of people, and it's starting to go to this, these least likely people that you'd never guess, this eunuch to Paul, a persecutor of the church. He will build his kingdom. His church will be advanced, and, and for us, church, as we go filled with the Holy Spirit with, you know, and share the gospel, the gates of hell won't stop us. Because why? Because who we're going with, we're going in the name of Jesus with the gospel on our lips. He will do everything that he's determined to do through us. And so be confident, be absolutely confident that God will not be stopped. He is going to work, and he's going to work through you through his church, more people trusting in Christ, more disciples being made, more just people joining in him and what he's doing, your coworker, your neighbor. They have no other hope other than Christ. Jesus' words do not return void. Jesus brings souls dead to life. There's no other name under heaven by which people can be saved other than the name of Jesus. And whoever calls upon the name of Christ will be saved. And if you ever question, if you're just kind of ever questioning, man, does he really have this kind of power to do everything that he said he would do? Jesus said, I, will, I lay down my life, but I could take it back up again. And guess what, guys? That tomb is still empty. Jesus does everything that he ever said he would do. Measure his power by the resurrection. Our king paid the price for sin and he did raise from the dead and he defeated sin and death. And the strongholds of Satan were eternally crushed through the cross and the resurrection. He is building his church and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We do not fight for victory, guys. We fight from it. Because Jesus has won it. So there's one king, Lord of all. 
And Jesus is not done changing lives. He's not done saving souls. He's not done healing marriages. He's not done removing shame, offering forgiveness, lavishing his love. Jesus is not done, and neither are we. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that, that you, Lord, that all power, strength is in you, is in your name. And Lord, that we can have complete confidence in you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, to not place our trust in just the world and its power, or us using our own, Lord, but to constantly look to you and help Help your strength, like for like our 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 picture of you to get bigger, to grow. Lord, because you are so much bigger than what we think. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.